And the reason we want to kind of do a summary sermon on the book of James is not because it's not because it's anything magical to doing something like this, but because it helps us. You know, we've gone, you have to think about it, we've gone kind of week by week. I think where this is week 14, 15, or 16 in the series. And uh, when we do that, we kind of miss sometimes the bigger picture. And so just imagine that uh, you get, you know, a love letter from your spouse. And you go, you know what I'm going to do this week? Is I'm going to read the first three lines of that letter. And then I'm going to come back next week and I'm going to read the next three lines of that letter. And then I'm going to read the next three lines of that letter. And I'll probably get it done in maybe, you know, three to four months. I will have finished the letter, going through it a couple of sentences at a time. Now that is how we as believers want to kind of get into the scriptures and understand them. But we don't want to miss uh, the forest for the trees or vice versa. And so we kind of get to do a summary sermon as a way to put some of the pieces together in the letter of James and kind of run it through 2020 because 2020 has been a year kind of like no other. It starts with a bang, right? We're like we're all excited because 2020 just hits and we have all these cool ideas on how 2020 is going to look. We make all of our New Year, New Year resolutions and we tell all our friends and it's New Year, New Me, we're going to do it, we're going to get it, we're going to rush it, everything's going to be great. And then it kind of ends or we're getting to the middle of it and we're like, this kind of feels like a mess and we don't have any way to experience 2020 anymore we don't even know how to feel about it we're just kind of like can we just get to not even 2021 can we just get to 2022 I want to skip over the next 18 months and I want to just figure out whatever's happened and if I could you know somehow uh, do that or you could get into my brain and make me forget the next 18 months and the past seven I think I'd be okay I mean, but just think about how it has gone, right? We're all optimistic about how the year is going to go, and that lasts until February. January seems okay. We're kind of going, ah, yeah, there's some things going on in the world, but it doesn't seem like it's going to impact us this much, uh, that much. And then February, we start to go, well, maybe, maybe not, you know, We watch our retirement accounts lose 30% of their value in like three weeks. And people who are at retirement age are going, whoa, this this is something I was not expecting. We've seen record unemployment. I think what was the report this week that our uh, GDP, if I got that right, was annualized at like 33%, which is their 32%, which is the lowest or the the highest negative change decrease in our history. So then we're all shut down, staying at home, wondering what's going to happen, trying to figure out life. Many of us work from home. Some of us stop working. Our employers call us and say, we don't have a job for you. Or we're going to reduce your pay. Or we're going to go on indefinite furlough. Or we're going to go on a one-month furlough that's going to turn into an indefinite furlough. And we go, that's not what I had expected. Then we see people dying. And I know there's a lot behind, well, what's the death rate or what's this or what's that? But no death is a friend of God's in whatever capacity, in whatever way. Uh, so we see people losing their lives and losing their livelihoods and losing their family. 
in the midst of that, we have the death of George Floyd in May, and we have uh, protests and calls for uh, fighting injustice, racial injustice, and we're sitting here going, I, I don't even know how to process everything. And we're only halfway through the year. I mean, we just finished July, month seven. Right? We, we have a few more to go, and we're still going, I don't even know. And now it's like, what's going to happen with school? And how are we going to approach this? And, you know, we have, it, it almost feels like, like we're, we're continuing to grow. Like we're just digging our heels in to how to process life and what's going on. And so if you felt one way in April, you probably feel more that way even now. If you felt one way, in a different way, you probably even feel more that way. I joke to my friends, I'm like, I like to find the person who's changed their mind, right? I want to find the person who feels, you know, they felt one way and now they feel a different way versus the person who felt one way and now only feels that way all the more. Like, I want the person who goes, you know what? I have changed my mind in whatever direction. I would just appreciate that kind of intellectual honesty, but it feels like we have to, have to dig in and stay the course and feel the way that we do. I don't know what 2020 had in mind, <laughs> really what the Lord had in mind with 2020. You know, man, 2020 is drunk. Like, go home, figure it out, come back, and we'll, we'll, we'll get through this. But I don't know why we are where we are, because from our lens of experiencing it, we just go, I don't want this. I don't want this for me. I don't want this for you. I don't want this for any of us. But... The mercy of God is still there. And the Lord is still faithful. And for people to talk about the Lord being faithful in hospital visits and the Lord to be faithful in death and the Lord to be faithful in just health scares that are COVID or non-COVID related, for the Lord to be faithful when you lose your job, the Lord to be faithful when you've changed your job, for the Lord to be faithful and hold you and your family together, he is gracious. And we've spent this last several months looking through this book of James and James, we were talking as elders at our meeting this past week, and what's your favorite book of the Bible? And, you know, we had all the Pauline guys. They all, oh, Paul's this, Paul's that. I was like, for me, James. James is, has often been the book that I'll find comfort in, which is funny because you're like, oh, you know, it makes a lot of sense, Hans. Uh, because I just, James is a book that doesn't let you run from, what does this mean? And if you know me or you hear my sermons, you know that's a big part of, of I'm like, Something that just stays here doesn't get very far, right? Head, heart, hands. Like we have to understand it, believe it, and live it. And so I love a letter like James because James is just like, let's just talk about living it. Like let's just, let's just talk about how this is true and what the Lord has for us. And so because of that, I wanted to just make a pass through some of the letter take themes from this year and go, how might we process this year through how James talks about it? Because James is incredibly clear for us. So there's gonna be a few things. Speech, we'll talk about that. Racism, talk about that. COVID-19, you can't talk about 2020 without talking about COVID-19. Suffering and patience, Five topics that I think James James's letter addresses incredibly clearly. 
Now, I want us to see how this letter, all five chapters of it, addresses where we are this year and what we might do about it. Now, we're not going to go chapter one, two, three, four, and five. That'd be too easy. James is not always the most kind of logical thinker. There is some logic to his flow, not logic in how we think about it. It's logical to him. And so we're going to really start in the middle. We're going to kind of bounce uh, from there, but we're going to talk about these themes. I want to start with this one. Uh, as, as we get into the letter, starting in the middle, James's key idea, one of James's key ideas is speech, how we talk, how we speak to one another, how we talk about what's going on, how we handle this type of life. And it's not just your words that come out of your mouth. Your text, your tweet, your post, your voicemail, your phone call, your face-to-face conversation, your FaceTime, your Zoom call, whatever it might be, all of those are ways we speak. And as we enter into difficult topics, it is easy to condemn. We run kind of right to it. It's part of our culture that might, you know, we might call it cancel culture, but it wants to try and wipe out speech that acts in a certain way. But we don't really have a response, a gracious response to it. Well, if you look at James 3, verse 2, you read this. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's mature, able also to control the whole body. So when you try and enter into that difficult conversation, when you try and, as a church Together, as believers together, trying to go, well, how do you feel about it? Or when should churches start gathering in their buildings again? And it's always funny. Can I just point out an irony? Like, we're always like, the church isn't a building, it's a people. When will you open our church buildings again? Because that's where we have to be. Like, I just, say what you want, there's way more there, but it is a little bit of an irony that we're big proponents of the church not being a building, and then we're really angry that the buildings are locked. Uh, so, that's us. We live with that, all kinds of tensions in ourselves. This is what I think James is helping us with, this idea. Speaking well about life is just, it's just difficult. It's hard. Why? Because if anyone is able, does not stumble in what he says or in what she says, that person's mature. Entering into conversations about illness or politics or race and racism and justice and injustice, when you try to enter into those conversations, and my buddy David helped me with this. He's like, James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways as we try to bring redemptive, thoughtful, loving, and gracious speech to conversations that are so charged with emotion. Very often, though, our words show our immaturity. They show that we are not mature, able also to control the whole body, that we can't speak about these things without getting super worked up. As we try to bring the scriptures to bear on certain situations, we need to realize that such an endeavor can be difficult. Now think about James chapter one. He helps us here in chapter one. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If you finish that out, it'll go for humans. Anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. The righteous life that God desires might be a translation that you have. 
But it's funny because also in a time like this, we want to run to the people who are saying things a lot. So again, back to our kind of, we're walking, uh, walking conundrums or we're just always disagreeing with ourselves, walking contradictions. We run to, retweet, repost the people who are speaking a lot about something while the scriptures say, you should be slow to speak. We're like, well, I'm retweeting it, right? They're saying it, I'm just amplifying it. No, you're speaking. You're making a decision about what's gonna be shared and spoken and talked about. But what do the scriptures say? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then this one, slow to become angry. Well, we can't do that today, can we? Wait, you believe what? You're gonna require what? You're gonna do what, right? It's like, we just flip it all around. Slow to listen, quick to speak, immediately become angry. That's often how it shows up. That's often how we operate. I mean, we need to realize, even as we read the book of James, that many of us are living in a way that is opposed to God's. That we operate that way. And unfortunately, because we surround ourselves with people who do the same, because this is how we think, we often assume we're good. All the people in my church or all the people that I follow, right? You're in the echo chamber of your opinions and the opinions of others. And so you go, oh, it must be fine because everybody's doing it, right? If you look at like the phrase or a similar phrase of everybody's doing it in the Bible, you're probably not gonna find good results. Look at the book of Judges. At that day, there was no king in the land. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When they wanted a king, what did the people of Israel say? Give us a king like the other nations to rule over us. Like the other nations. When we're trying to be like those around us, we will likely not be like the Lord who has saved us. There's a difference. Our response to this world and disagreements in one another needs to be gracious hearers and listeners who understand our own imperfections and frailties as we speak that we would not rush to speak, that we would think twice before hitting the share or retweet or anything that tries to amplify and cause division amongst us, that we don't rush to respond, that we would slow down and be prayerful and thoughtful. Many of us are trying to punch way above our weight class in having these conversations. We're getting far beyond the bounds of scripture and even a place that's comfortable for us to speak. Howard Hendricks, a professor at Dallas Seminary for decades, would say this, where the Bible speaks, I speak. Where the Bible is silent, I'm silent. Very often we get ourselves in trouble because we try and veer past the solid footing of what is revealed in scripture. The goodness of Jesus and the work that he has done for us And people want to know exactly how we feel about X, and they want to know exactly how we feel about X right now. I was talking to my friend this week. I said, I'm going to know how I handle 2020 when I see the Lord. That's the only time I'm going to know how I did. Because no joke, I'll talk to one person, and they're like, we should do this. I'll talk to another person, they say, we should do this. I go to the Lord, and I'm like, I don't, you know, Lord, what do you want? What do we do here? When I'm with him, I'll know. But I do know how I should operate. 
<clears throat> which is to stand confidently on what he has revealed, to speak of that, to not feel the pressure to address things that I'm just not equipped, qualified, or prepared to have a conversation about. Even if that means that somebody's going to be bugged, it would appears to be a lack of speech. Well, I'm okay with a lack of speech because James is. Slow to speak. I'm going to speak on the things that are of utmost importance. Which is interesting because I'm going to get to the next topic. And that next topic is hard for us to speak about well. Racism. Racism. You go, well, hold on, you know, the Bible doesn't say racism. So if the Bible speaks, I speak. If the Bible's silent, I'm silent. It's a touchy subject <clears throat> to talk about. <clears throat> but a necessary awareness and, and staying on our and basically every single culture's in existence history. There is not, there is not a culture that is without racism. I was listening to a podcast even, I think it was last week, everyone's a little bit racist. And those comments make us a little uncomfortable, right? We don't want to admit our own frailty. But Christians should know this. Why? Well, for one reason, we know us. So that should be enough to self-indict. For another reason, we know depravity. We know how it expresses itself. While maybe some sins are more shocking, really no sins are surprising. Yeah, our hearts invent ways to sin. We find ways to do it. But I want you just to look at James chapter 2. He doesn't say racism, but at the same time, we will use that kind of language because it is an expression of what he's talking about in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1, my dear brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to how he explains it. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, what are they looking at? Appearance. How do you look when you walk in? What, how do I identify you? And you say... If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, but you look at the one, the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? So what is James saying when we look at that concept, that tension of racism in our culture? That racism is an expression of favoritism. Favoritism is actually broader than just racism. Because you could look at rich, poor, you could look at the clothes they wear, you could look at the books they read, the songs they listen to, but what is he getting at? If you follow the language of favoritism, I'm not trying to blunt the blow of the word racism. Favoritism is a strong word. James speaks about it as an evil. You'll see this. James talks about how some in the church prefer others over certain ones because of the way they look. Now it's rich poor here in James, and that's a common theme throughout the letter. But it is because of the way they look. They are choosing appearances over people. 
And James takes that behavior and he condemns it in two ways. First, he says such an approach divides us. Haven't you made divisions amongst yourselves, which shouldn't exist. That's kind of what you can read behind that. The division doesn't need to be there. You've created it. And then he follows it up and go, and you have become judges with evil thoughts. To prefer appearances over people, to view others as worth something because of how they look and others as not worth it because of how they look is evil. James doesn't use the phrase racism. But he does talk about something that's in all of us, which is favoritism. And racism is an expression using James's language of favoritism. Are there other ways that we show favoritism? Absolutely. Are there other ways we prefer appearances over people? Absolutely. But we also have what James would say to us, don't, don't we? <clears throat> James would say that you would reject favoritism, or in this instance, racism, because if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. He ends that with, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment without mercy will be shown to those who have not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So our response as believers is to pursue mercy to extend grace, to recognize that people created in God's image are always people created in God's image, and we have no room and no right to judge on matters of appearance. James doesn't leave room for us to go, well, I don't know if that's what he really means here. He makes it clear Mercy triumphs over judgment. Our churches of all places must be a place where we prefer no one for how they look, but receive them gladly in the Lord, because that is what the Lord has done for us. I tell you, if the Lord was doing it based upon appearances, I would be at the end of the line, even with a new shirt. End of the line. I can't dress up well enough. I can't speak well enough. I can't look good enough. I can't talk in a way that's just so mesmerizing so it's interesting isn't it because what James is showing is that difference between the Lord's been merciful to you speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom law of Christ and yet we operate in ways that the Lord has not operated with us we live out our relationships in ways the Lord has not shown us how to live out to respond otherwise, to live with distinctions, to live with divisions, to prefer appearances over people, let's be very clear, is evil. We make distinctions among ourselves and we become judges with evil thoughts. Now, remember this, or just think back to the difficult speech. When we try to have conversations with people in our lives about race, we do it poorly. I would guess most of us have had bad conversations about this. 
We've had difficult conversations about it. We've said things we shouldn't have said, and we've not said things that we should have. We've done both. We're too passive on one side. We're too active on another. We're saying things that don't actually line up with what Jesus would want, or we're not bringing the gospel to places where we know we should. I've been there. Where you hear someone say something, you're like, uh, and you just freeze. Well, think back to James 3, 2. If anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's mature, able also to control the whole body. It should not surprise you that you don't know how to have these conversations. It shouldn't surprise you. Because anytime you try to talk about something meaningful, you struggle with it. How many times have you argued with a friend or a spouse or a neighbor? You've had some kind of, you know, disagreement. We'll just call it that, instead of an argument. Some kind of disagreement. Or intense topic. You're talking to your parents about something. You're just like, we do not, we do not see eye to eye on this thing. Right? And you have to keep having the conversation because you keep missing the point. And then eventually you're like, yeah, just forget it. It's even funny, like, what, what do we say culturally? Hey, don't talk about religion and politics with people. Why do we say that? Because something in us recognizes James 3, 2, even if we don't know the Lord. So instead, we just kind of go, forget it. Just don't talk about it because you're not gonna do it well. But the Christian understands grace and mercy and can say, hey, it's okay that you messed that up. It's okay that you said it like that. It's okay that you didn't say that, right? Like your perfection in talking about something does not make God somehow more perfect. And God doesn't look at your imperfection and your stumbling and say, oh man, you've messed this one up forever. That's something I constantly have to remind myself of. Because I stumble and fumble and I screw up and I've done this before and if you ask me, I'll give you instances where I know I've not spoken into a topic of injustice or race maybe the way I should have. And I remember, these are hard topics. It's not that the scripture doesn't have language for them, it's that often our language is something other than what the scripture has. But mercy triumphs over judgment. If we could hold that dear to us, especially as we interact with one another. Especially as we try to talk about difficult things that are meaningful, that can bring redemption, especially as we have those conversations. We should be able to have these conversations better because we know the Lord. And we know that when we screw up, Jesus isn't gone. I knew it. I knew I shouldn't have picked you. Because he knows exactly what he's doing. Now, there are lots of things that we could talk about in regard to just pandemics. I will start this by saying, I am not an epidemiologist, and more likely than not, neither is anyone who is listening to this. Maybe some epidemiologist chimed in. But I am shocked by the amount of people who are now epidemiologists. There are quite a few in the world. If my Facebook feed shows me anything, it's that we're all experts on pandemics and the right response. And I don't know how we became experts so quickly, but it's shocking the amount of experts we've all become together. I know speaking well about things is difficult, And we're in this conversation about pandemics. 
And this is probably, for us, maybe one of the most globally real things to talk about because, right, billions of people in the world are trying to figure out what to do. It's all right, right? What's the response? How do you open up? Are you sick? Are you not sick? If you're not sick, if you, if you don't have a chance, if you're not high risk, you, shouldn't, you should be able to do whatever you want. Masks are, you know, from the Democrats. They're not this, they're not that, right? We have all these ways of trying to talk about it that aren't necessarily based in anything that we are following or in, in, even in the grace of our Lord. It's just like, let me tell you what's going on. And the moment some news outlet, doesn't matter how reputable, promotes something that we agree with, we're so quick to show the world, see, I told you so. As if we are the experts of destiny. As if we really know what's best. As if we have some kind of sure answer and response that's going to make everything get fixed. Friends, we don't. And the more confident we feel about our conclusions, the more arrogant we likely are being. And the more quick we are to disparage or discredit other opinions, the more the echo chamber we live in. And we're quick to jump to death rates or infection rates or comparisons of the entire population. We try to bolster whatever opinion that we have so that we can feel certain and we can know what's going to happen. If we just do this, then this will happen. If we just do this, then this will happen. If we stop doing this, then this will happen. And we're so confident. But listen to James. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and do business and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord lives, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your, what word is that? Arrogance. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. To know that you are limited in your capacity and the Lord is sovereign in his. It is evil to know sin, to know the good, to surrender your life and your heart to him and yet not do it. If the past seven months have taught us anything, It's that pandemics remind us we do not control our days. We don't even control tomorrow. I was texting with, golly, who was it? It was a pastor uh, who pastors north of Dallas or in the Dallas area. And uh, we have a connection through grading stuff together. And so I have never actually met the guy. And he was like, hey, you guys started meeting yet? I was like, we lasted two weeks doing this stuff in the building and then the world fell apart again, or emotionally feels that way. He goes, we haven't even started. I'm talking to my pa- I talk to my pastor buddies all the time, and we're all just in here going, we're in the same boat you are. What is best? What is best? Lord, what's your will? Very few times in our lives do we have such a public and corporate reminder 
of how helpless we are. We have immediate reminders. We might get stricken with illness. We might get in a car accident. We might be traumatized in some way or for some reason. We might lose a spouse or a child. Tragedy will hit us and it will have those sobering moments to go, I, I have no control. But I can't think of a time in the past, say, 100 years where globally, we have said, I have no control. I have things I can do, steps I can take, but I can't control my days. My life and all the plans that I had for 2020 have been changed. We were gonna take a vacation here. It was our 50th anniversary. We were gonna go there. We were gonna have this thing. Our kids were gonna have this experience. We were so excited about our trip to wherever. We really could not wait until we were able to do this. And all of a sudden, it's like, I don't even know. I don't even have a job anymore. I'm not even sure how I can pay bills. I'm not, I can't even make ends meet. My industry got completely shut down. No one's hiring. No one needs me. We have had people who have had to completely reinvent their career trajectory, right? Because they go, I can't be in this industry anymore. I need to be in a completely different industry. I need to, find, I need to learn a completely new skill. And you're going, I'm four years from retirement. I can't learn a new skill. I don't know who's going to want me. I've lived a whole life. I've spent 40 years of my life operating in this direction. And somebody's just going to grab me and say, oh yeah, we have a spot for you doing something you've never done before. James might go, of course. Of Of course. We always have plans. But we're not in control. And we have felt that day in and day out. Getting emails from the school district about kids and plans and going, hey, we plan to do this. And then three days later, they're like, JK, we're not planning to do that. And then three days later, they're like, nah, I, we don't even know. You know what? We don't even care about school. You know what? You're just all done. Go work in the fields. Like, we're just going to go back. You know, school is no longer necessary. Like, you're just going to all be agrarian. And we're going to just be farmers together. Like, that's what we're going to do. And so I got to find a new job because we can't do this thing. And so I'm just going to start gardening and making my kids go to work with me in the garden. Like, we just don't know. That's how it feels, right? We kind of go through this. We're sure what's going to happen. We're sure it's going to be like this. We're sure it's going to be like that. We're sure it's going to be like that. And now it's like, I don't even know. I don't know. And yet there's James, almost like he just took a time machine into 2020 It was like, how foolish and arrogant of you to think that you would even know. To think that you were so sure. To be so confident. To know what was going to come. To have your family or your child's or your marriages or your work life planned out for the next seven years. I mean, can you imagine now how foolish the conversation sounds when you're in a job interview and they're like, hey, tell me, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And you're like, 10 years? I don't know where I see myself in 10 days. Neither do you. 
right? Like that, even that, that statement itself, maybe we should just strike it from any job interview because we don't know. But how foolish would it be right now to go to somebody and go, what do you think you'll be doing next year? You're like, I don't know what I'll be doing next year. I don't know what I'll be doing next month. I can't project. I don't know. And, and even though it's uncomfortable and frustrating and it hurts and it's, hard, it's painful for us, even though that is the case, There's also something on the other side of it as believers we should recognize, which it is gracious of the Lord to remind us of how much we need him. It's gracious to recognize that we have no power in and of ourselves to produce what we want to produce or live how we want to live, that we are moment by moment, day by day, minute by minute, decision by decision at the mercy and grace of our God. We need to surrender our hearts and our plans to God and recognize that he is the one in control and the one to be trusted. And such a position can often be difficult for us because, again, we know people have lost their jobs connected to people who have lost their lives, lost their livelihoods, People who have had to change, like we've said, their whole career trajectory. People who are considering making career changes to be obedient providers for their family. Others in our church family who are in the medical field are taxed, exhausted, trying to keep up. And they're stressed. And at a time of heightened awareness of our frailty, it also pushes us to realize that many of us have been affected by something we didn't see coming. But think back to the first words of James. Some of the first words, James 1 and 2. Consider a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So this trial we are in and you are in, consider, which is a mindset, isn't it? Consider, it's a mindset available for the believer that we should be in, it joy, because God is doing something through it. Even last week, you heard Matt Akers preach about this idea in James chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church. They are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. These two ideas together remind us what? That our sufferings produce endurance, but they also need our prayerful attention. So our suffering produces endurance. It builds something in us, but also needs prayerful attention. 
You want to be bizarre in a biblical way? Take joy in your circumstance. Don't complain about it. The more difficult the circumstance, the more joy you feel because God is working something through it. And maybe today you go, I can't even hear that. I don't want that. Why is it me and not some other person when we start to do those things? I want to ask you this question. Have you considered that your perspective on life might even be there? You go, I can't believe this happened to me. I can't believe I'm in this situation. Maybe that perspective exists because you have not actually given yourself over to the Lord Jesus. That the capacity to believe like that does not exist for you because you're not his. I think in that instance, the response is to go, Lord, I surrender to you. I trust in you. Jesus paid it all. He has done the work for me. I can't seem to feel the right way about this. I can't seem to understand the right things about this because I've never been with you. And I've never been taught by you. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, we go, I've never had that type of experience. You can't get the proper perspective because you don't have Christ as your Savior. That's the case, surrender to him. Trust him, let him teach you. Be a part of a church family where people want to help you grow in the Lord and understand who he is and what he has done. Because Jesus did not just ascend and leave us, but he is returning. We stay with him. He trains us. He teaches us. He shows us. He's returning to make all things new, a world where pandemics don't live. He's returning to give the saints resurrected bodies that don't get ill. He's returning to end evil and suffering, and because of that, we can have patience. Remembering Christ's return produces patience. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were right there in that passage. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You also must be patient, strengthen your hearts, because the Lord's coming is near. In our suffering and in our hurt, in our ache, in our illness, in our unemployment, Jesus is coming. When we can't take another innocent death or handle another injustice or another disruption or another disappointment, Jesus is coming. And when we try to live life and we try to help people and find ourselves stumbling and struggling over the right things to say and the way to say it, where we try to step into a situation to bring healing and we, all we do is bring more stress and we can't realize why we do it, or we try to reconcile a relationship with a family member and it just ends in an argument, or we try to be gracious and kind somewhere and it ends up harming us, Jesus is coming. He's not unaware. So we wait on the Lord and we look to the Lord. Genesis family, the scriptures are supremely relevant to us. And a letter like James reminds us of it. We sit in awe of what the Lord has revealed here and we must remember that for us, we conform to what is revealed. 
We don't ask it to conform to us. So we go before the Lord and we say, Lord, even in the letter that James has written, where do I live out of step with that? Where am I having a mindset or perspective that is not what you long for, that is not what honor you? Because 2020 has been a year like no other, but we're also glad to serve a God like no other who gives us what we need when we need it and is worthy of all our worship.